Welcome to Agents of Nothing, an episode-by-episode recap and analysis from the perspectives of a veteran and a new recruit. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Good morning, Agents of Nothing, and welcome to our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. We are your commanding officers. I'm Mariah. I'm Caroline. And today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 19, The Only Light in the Darkness. So, Mariah, how was your week? It was alright. Nothing much happened, but I just wanted to say we're almost to the end of Season 1, and I never thought that we'd have the audience we have at this point. Yeah. And, like, we're, we're still a pretty humble little beginner podcast, but we really, truly appreciate every single one of our listeners. So I just want to thank y'all from the bottom of my heart. Yes, thank you guys. <laughs> and we've got a lot of great, exciting stuff coming for you guys, so stay tuned. How was your week, Caroline? Um, my week was fine, although the other day I went swimming for the first time this summer, and now I have a massive sunburn. I don't know Aww. if you can tell from our Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> you do look a little pink. Yeah, it was worse yesterday, but I just, I'm so mad because I literally used 100 SPF, <laughs> and I still, like, can barely sleep because it hurts so bad. No, I feel that. I think, if I remember correctly, I learned in beauty school that, like, anything above an SPF 45 or 50 is just, like, them pulling your leg. Clearly. (laughs) Just, like, slather on multiple layers and hope for the best. And reapply. That's the most important part. Yeah. That's what killed me. I just didn't realize how long I was in the pool. I was like, oh, yeah, it's been, like, 15 minutes, and it was, like, three hours. (laughs) Have you considered being tested for ADHD? (laughs) (laughs) The answer would not surprise me. (laughs) Okay, let's get into this. All right. So this episode was written by Monica Wusu-Breen and directed by Vincent Misiano. The Art of Level 7 poster for The Only Light in the Darkness was created by Pascal Campion. And it focuses on Coulson and his cellist lover, while also hinting at the villain for the episode, Marcus Daniels. And I posted that and just a little poster that I thought looked cool in the drive. Is that that's the one that's like, meet the cellist? Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Meet the cellist. (laughs) Like it's her superhero name or something. It took me so long into this episode to realize that I knew that actress from Supernatural, (laughs) of course. (laughs) She's great. She's fantastic. She was on the Live with Lil episode covering this episode. Oh, cool. It was it was nice to hear like her perspective about it. It was cool. But I would be pissed, okay? If I were her and I was playing Colson's lover, I would be pissed that I didn't get to kiss Clark Gregg. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what's the point even? What's the point? God damn it. He at least kissed her on the forehead. Yeah, that was sweet. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in a minute. Okay, let's get into it. Well, okay. who, are, who do we meet? So, we kind of just gave it away. Yeah. But <laughs> we meet the cellist. You've already seen the episode. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, our first new character is Marcus Daniels. Someone call Muse because the supermassive <laughs> black hole is topping the charts once again. He's back. <laughs> And we also meet Audrey Nathan, the cellist. Ooh. I had nothing else to say about her. She just is perfect. So. The way that you worded it in the description where you said, oh my God, it's the cellist. I read it in the same cadence as, and they were roommates. 
Oh my god, it's the cellist. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> um, okay. All right, let's get into it for real this let's time. Let's do it. <laughs> so we open on some guy walking along a dock as he approaches another man who's loading like fish stuff into the back of a pickup truck. We also are hearing a radio interview talking about how shitty S.H.I.E.L.D. is. I wanted to put something in about this because we talked a lot about like the political implications of all of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. It's supposed to be like as vague as possible, that radio interview. I found it interesting to listen to anyway because it's like, if my party were in the White House, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I don't know. I really do wish that they would expand more on that. I want to know, like, which party canonically is in the White House at this point in time? (laughs) Is it a Republican? Is it a Democrat? I want to know. That would be really interesting to know. Anyway, so Guy 1 asks Guy 2 for a ride to Portland. And it's less of a request and more of, like, a statement. I need a ride to Portland. (laughs) And Guy 2 says no. So Guy 1 just casually turns off the truck without even touching it and guy two is like hey cool trick and then guy one touches guy two and guy two turns gray and falls to the ground just dead um wow well wow that's crazy (laughs) that's so crazy you crazy girl (laughs) you crazy girl um so guy one just like steps over him and drives the truck away but not without a good shot of his bracelet, medical bracelet? I guess it was like his medical. ID tag for the fridge. I guess. Anyway, it said Daniel's on it. And at the time, I was like, I don't know what that is or what it said. But definitely seemed important. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that he um, he changed the radio station to classical music. Oh, which... I didn't even notice. You didn't notice that? No. So back at Providence, Simmons is tending to Ward's wounds in the lab, and Fitz gets very close to Ward's face to, like, check out all of his bruising and cuts and stuff. And he's like, he'll be all right, though, won't he? And Simmons is like, he will if you back up. (laughs) Give him some room. That's so relatable. (laughs) So Ward is telling them all of his half-truths about how the fridge mission went down. He's like, by the time we got there, it was overrun with Hydra. (laughs) Yes, I wonder why. (laughs) So he continues telling them everything that happened, but conveniently not mentioning that he was part of Hydra being there. Um, Saying that Hydra has all the weapons, technology, and prisoners that the fridge kept hidden. And that Ian Quinn is out, and that Garrett gave Ward all of his current injuries. The only full lie that he tells is that he killed Garrett. So then Simmons finishes him up, uh, saying that he's as good as he can be with two broken ribs and a zygomatic fracture. To which Fitz and Tripp simultaneously inform us is a hairline fracture to the cheekbone. Which, that objectively hilarious i just need fitz to get over it and be friends with trip because they would get along so well yes <laughs> they're they're obviously so smart they're both so smart they have so much in common they both love simmons yes they clearly have the same taste <laughs> we have so much in common you're in love with simmons i'm in love with simmons we'd get along great it's perfect. It's a perfect relationship. 
So Simmons begs Ward to rest and heal. He pulls out the hard drive like he single-handedly rescued it from the bad guys. As if he didn't just keep it in his pocket. Right? (laughs) Um, And he suggests that they back it up now that they are in a secure location. Coulson's like, yeah, yeah, but uh, first, Sky, figure out how fucked we are with all those prisoners who've been released from the fridge. That does seem like top priority. So she does, and she hates what they find. (laughs) She mentions that Quinn is the least scary of the bunch. Um, duh. Everybody else has, like, superpowers. (laughs) So... That seems like it should be obvious. And Coulson says, Quinn's more of a sociopath. The others are psychopaths. And I just, I wanted to bring up, um, I really don't like how those terms are thrown around in pop culture, both in media and in just how people talk to each other in general. And like, obviously we are no experts by any means, um, but my, for my three whole years as a psych major (laughs) in college, (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's not possible to be diagnosed as either one of those things. Um, And a sociopath isn't even like a real thing within the dsm like there are psychopathic categories of certain personality disorders but that's like it's the way that your brain is wired and it's really it's not a character flaw in and of itself it's it's just how your brain works yeah i noted that as well i a big problem in comic books and the media that's based off of them they do it with the scarlet witch they do it with dark phoenix It's usually women that they do it with, but Mm -hmm. they sort of throw around this vague label of insane as if that's a diagnosis of any sort. Yeah. Most types of media and most conversations around this sort of thing tend to just kind of reduce it to this broad, sweeping insanity. And it's reductive, and it doesn't look into the things that tend to cause that sort of mental unraveling. They, they don't investigate it in any way. It's just like, oh, well, they're insane, so. Right. It's like, no, that's, <laughs> there was a lot of things that brought us to that point. The word insane, it means nothing. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I'm glad that we both noted that. Yeah. You and me, great minds. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Coulson asks if Marcus Daniels is on the list, and uh-oh, Sky finds him immediately, and it's the guy from the dock. Guy one. Oh. Um, <laughs> so Coulson clearly knows who this is and is worried about him. And Ward gives a look of some kind. And I wasn't sure if he was just like filing that mental note away or did he anticipate that Coulson would react this way? I couldn't quite tell. I sort of thought the same thing too because it does definitely seem that at least Garrett knew who Marcus Daniel was yeah. and who who he was to Coulson. I don't right. know if you notice in the, like... Oh, because Marcus Daniel was the one who looked at, at Garrett. Yeah, the, then Garrett said, don't forget to follow your dreams. Oh. I don't know if Ward knew, but I think that releasing oh, that specific prisoner was definitely purposeful. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Wow. Okay, so now I know. Now I know. <laughs> I love the storytelling on this show. Yes. They don't throw it in your face, yeah. but they set things up so well. And and we'll talk about it later in the episode with the, the lanyards and, and things like that. But Yeah. They do a good job of breadcrumbing. Yes. They don't spoon feed it to you. They let you figure it out, but they do it so well. 
So, Coulson tells Skye to cross-check all of the escaped inmates. Um, the outmates? The post-inmates? The postmates, if you will. <laughs> uh, cross-check all of them with any uptick in crime in the area. Um, so, Skye says that she'll need more bandwidth for that than just her laptop. So, Coulson tells her to go to Koenig to borrow his stuff. Coulson is going to borrow Ward's plane to split up the team and go after Daniels, since he has an idea of where Daniels is going. May and Skye both bring up that Fury sent them to this bunker for a reason, and they are safest there. Ward's face being disappointed that May caught on immediately that it could be a distraction orchestrated by Hydra. She really has their number. Yeah. He looked so annoyed. (laughs) Um, so then Coulson brings up a very good point that, yeah, we are safe here, but not everyone has access to a top secret underground shelter. And what about them? I don't know if it's wise, but it's right. Ooh, that's such a good line. (laughs) It just, it speaks so, it speaks volumes about Coulson's character. I just love it so much. I don't know if it's wise, but it's right. Beautiful. Koenig hates the idea. (laughs) Coulson's like, fuck your protocols. But Koenig was only supposed to let Coulson in, and Coulson brought a bunch of people that Koenig doesn't know. And honestly, that's a valid concern. Like, even without knowing about Ward, the vast, vast majority of S.H.I.E.L.D. was taken over by secret double agents that nobody knew about. Yeah. Um, so he should be extremely wary about anybody that he hasn't personally vetted. But, but... Coulson is on his hero journey and he's got more people to think about than just who are in this bunker. (laughs) So Koenig's like, love your energy, but everybody's got to go through orientation before you can leave. (laughs) And orientation is apparently the ultimate lie detector test. Ward looks super worried, as he should. Stupid fucking Nazi with a stupid perfect lips and a stupid (laughs) puppy dog eyes. Brett Dalton, we love you. Come on the pod. (laughs) Come on the pod. (laughs) Come on the pod, you beautiful, beautiful man. (laughs) Where was I? Oh, yeah, fuck Ward. (laughs) So (laughs) Coulson's like, all right, let's get this over with. Who's first? (laughs) And then I love, I love this just montage of facts. (laughs) It's so good. Such good character building. It was fantastic. First of all, May was married? (laughs) Fitz's only family is his mom. Hmm. Tripp's grandfather was also a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, apparently, but Tripp doesn't want Grandpa's fame to overshadow his own ability. So, Tripp is the grandson of one of the Howling Commandos who fought alongside Captain America in World War II. You actually see, I think... um, I'm not sure if he's named, but you do see him in the first Captain America movie. Gotcha. And then when Koenig tells Triplet that if his grandfather were a member of the Howling Commandos, he would have it tattooed across his chest. (laughs) And that's a reference to the comic Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, which had a character named Private Eric Koenig. Oh my god! Which I didn't know about, but I love that. That's so cool. Did he have a tattoo of it across his chest? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not sure if that's um, if that's show canon, but I would love if it turned out that <laughs> Koenig's ancestor was on the Howling Commandos too and he just didn't know about it. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, we also learn that Sky does not have a last name because she was dropped off at an orphanage with no information. So the orphanage gave her the name Mary Sue Poots. It's a terrible name. <laughs> awful. It's awful. So understandably, she gave herself the name Sky. And didn't I guess in like the first episode that that wasn't her real name? You did. <laughs> Damn. You did. I'm so good. You're so good. <laughs> Next question, what's the difference between an egg and a rock? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's such a weird question. I guess that answer will tell you a lot about that person's mindset. I guess, so. yeah. Um, so May's answer is literally two words. Edible, not. <laughs> Fitz and Simmons have the exact same answer, <laughs> which goes... Well, that's absurd. The differences are innumerable. If you want, I can start listing them, but then we'll be here all day. <laughs> God, I love them so much. <laughs> so good. And then I don't understand the box on the deserted island question because he never specifies that the box contains something that they want or something that could help them. It just, he's just like, there's a box. What's in it? I don't I think there's, uh, that's another question that probably says more about the person because he doesn't specify. It's just like, there's a box. What's in it? Yeah. What do you want? What do you need? What would be... The most important to you. But, like, I feel like if I was on a deserted island and there was a box, there would probably be, like, sand in it. I don't know. <laughs> and, like, broken. <laughs> and see, that tells, that that that's just, that says something about you. You're like, it's a box on a deserted island. It probably doesn't have anything in it. <laughs> it's got, like, broken twigs and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> so May says machete. Trip says a satellite phone to call for help. Fitz says Simmons. <laughs> oh. And Simmons says a TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> Simmons is a super Hulakian. <laughs> it's canon. <laughs> the way that I freaked the fuck out when Simmons said the TARDIS. <laughs> I know I was you did. such a huge Doctor Who nerd at the time. <laughs> oh my god! And I was like Simmons, she's like me. It just further cemented Simmons as like my favorite character. Just so that y'all know, Mariah had, um, or I think you still have Tardis Christmas lights. She had them like on her bed. I cute. think they might have died. I'm not sure where no. they went. They were cute though. But I do, one of the sound dampening blankets up in my little closet is a TARDIS blanket that says wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> so Sky says that in the box would be her laptop, fully charged, but that would be subversive since the whole rising tide thing. And you know what? A laptop would be stupid. There's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Whopper question S.H.I.E.L.D. no longer exists and has been labeled a terrorist organization. So why are you here? Simmons says she isn't sure. Fitz says we have to stick together. Keep the people we trust close by and no one else. Tripp says that his grandfather also fought Hydra back in his day and won. So Tripp is confident that the good guys can win again. May simply says Coulson. And Skye says... It's the only home I've ever known. Oh, stop. So Sky passes, obviously. (laughs) And she gets a lanyard. I want a lanyard. Me too. Get on it, Marvel. Send us lanyards. Yes, give us a lanyard, please. (laughs) 
I don't know who we need to talk to about that. I think we can buy it on Amazon, (laughs) but I don't want to buy it on Amazon. I want you to send it to us, Marble. I want a real one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe not a real one because it did have a tracker in it. (laughs) I don't mind if Marble tracks me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so then Skye immediately walks out and lets Ward get his grubby little Nazi fingers all over it. Disgusting. <laughs> they flirt some more while Ward tries to gauge how difficult this test is going to be for him to pass. And I just pound my head repeatedly into the wall. <laughs> so Ward answers his baseline questions, but already he's showing spiking as if he's in pain. When really he's just a lying, scummy little piece of worm poo. But he plays it off <laughs> with his injuries. And goddamn it, he's going to pass because of those injuries, isn't he? That and the piece of metal that he shoved under his thumbnail. Yes. One of the fun facts for this episode (laughs) says, Grant Ward's middle name is revealed to be Douglas. Whether or not he's lying is not addressed. (laughs) The wording of that is so fucking hilarious. I love it. (laughs) It killed me. Um, So Coulson briefs the rest of the team on Marcus Daniels. Daniels was a lab assistant trying to harness the electrical power of something called Dark Force. Nothing bad ever happens when you work with something called Dark Force. (laughs) Dark Force also showed up in the short-lived Agent Carter TV show, and it was called by its alternate name, Zero Matter. Because they couldn't use Dark Matter, because that's already been used in a million sci-fi shows. In reading the description of the Zero Matter storyline, I realized that Agent Carter was a lot more bonkers than I remember it being, and now I feel like I need a rewatch. I was like, I thought this was just a spy show. Like, I don't remember all this happening. Oh my gosh. It was only two seasons, so it would probably take me, like, a week to rewatch. Yeah. Maybe after we finish all the million seasons of this show, we can watch that one. Maybe. Um, And this also isn't the last we'll see of Dark Force on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Um, So because of his exposure to this thing, Daniels is now able to absorb any type of energy, which is why he could kill that guy on the dock. Human bodies run on electrical impulses in the heart, brain, and nervous system. So all Daniels has to do is touch someone to kill them. And he can also apparently absorb the energy of most conventional weapons, which I feel like I need clarity on that because, like, is the bullet energy or does he just, like, take away all of the firepower within the gun? I imagine it would be, like, the energy and force behind the propulsion of the bullet. I, I don't know. I'm not a science person. <laughs> like, the like the bullet physically moving through the air creates a type of energy. So maybe he could just, like, slow that down or, like, take it away. Well, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, there's some kind of spark or something that shoots the bullet out, right? Yeah. I think that's how guns work. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe he takes that away. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We need someone Someone explain it to us, okay? <laughs> Science side of Tumblr, explain. <laughs> Hank Green, explain. <laughs> America, explain. <laughs> um, anyway, apparently... Okay. <laughs> uh, so apparently the last time that Marcus was defeated, they were able to overwhelm him with pure light. Fitz and Simmons are confident that they can create some kind of usable weapon en route. And Trip is ready to be whatever Coulson needs him to be. Is it safe to love Trip? Because I really, <laughs> really love him. 
And I don't want that to be taken away from me. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Coulson walks away, and then Trip and Simmons just, like, grin at each other. It was so cute. And Fitz is horrified at their joy. <laughs> so back to Ward's answers, because this is getting juicy, so I'm just going to write down all of his answers. Got it. Um, so he says, an egg's a food, a rock's a weapon, which... It's not always, but that is an interesting take. So I see why they have that question in there. (laughs) He lies about not knowing Project Inside or Alexander Pierce. He overthinks the box on the island, but ends up just saying a pistol. And then when asked why he's there, he says, I'm an agent. It's my duty. And Koenig makes him say it again. So then Ward repeats it with feeling. At that point, Koenig pulls out a pistol and asks one follow-up question. Are you associated with Hydra? And Ward panics for a split second, figuring out how to tell a (laughs) half-truth. And he says, yes, we all are. I hate him. (laughs) Oh! Koenig aims the pistol at him and asks again. Ward says, I am loyal to Agent Coulson and my team. And then he pulls out those puppy dog eyes again. But Koenig is not having it. He says, do you have another agenda here? And then Ward hesitates and he flashes back to his orders from Garrett to get Sky's password or kill everyone. And Koenig notices and asks again, why are you really here? So the flashbacks were weird to me. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they're really trying to drive the point home. And I know that at the time it was like a week-to-week episode format, so we might not have remembered specific plot details from the past few episodes, but I don't know. I feel like it's almost a little insulting to the viewer that they think that they need to hold our hands like this. Right, like that was a very big plot point. (laughs) Yeah, and if it was just like, if it was one or two brief flashbacks... I would understand, but it was multiple pretty long ones throughout the episode. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember if, like, there were a few weeks between the last episode and this one, but I don't think that there was. So it really, like, it took me aback a little bit. Yeah, that was, I thought that was weird. I was like, this was, like, literally last episode. (laughs) I was like, I I know, I know that. I watched the show. Yes. We got it. I, I saw that scene. I saw that scene last night. <laughs> and like you said, if it was just like maybe a flash to a face or something, but it's like the whole, like the whole scene. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that was, that was a pretty significant scene. I don't think anybody forgot it. Listen, have faith <laughs> in your viewers, you guys. Right. Um, so anyway, Ward finally says that his reason he's really here is Sky. Ew, ew, ew. <laughs> Ew. Um, he says, I came back for her. I want to spend time with her. Fucking get over her, you trash bag. She's too good for you. (laughs) So Koenig accepts this, though, and Ward unfortunately gets a lanyard, and he's real fucking proud of it, too. And I want to just rip it out of his hands. He doesn't deserve that lanyard. He doesn't deserve it. I deserve that lanyard. (laughs) Give me your lanyard. You are not fit to wear this lanyard. <laughs> it's my lanyard now. I'm Grant Ward. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So as he's walking down the hall, he stops in a dark corner to pull out the giant fucking nail from under the underneath his thumbnail. Uh, Disgusting. So gross. I literally, I could not, I couldn't watch it. I I don't even know if he actually got it out because Fitz (laughs) interrupts him. Uh, So Fitz catches him and so he puts on his good guy face and Fitz laments that Ward can't come on the trip instead of, instead of trip. I didn't realize that I did that, but... (laughs) I'm really glad I did. (laughs) (laughs) Fitz laments that Ward can't come on the trip instead of Trip because Trip is just so insufferable. Just a horrible person, really. Fitz is so busy insulting Trip that he doesn't even hear Ward start to defend the guy. So Ward waits until Fitz is done and then he says that obviously this is actually about Simmons. (laughs) Clearly. He says, everything is falling apart around us. If there's something you want to tell her, don't wait. And I can't believe we're getting good advice from a fucking Nazi. That's bullshit. A broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) You're right. Okay. You're right. So Fitz is like, what the hell are you talking about? You're crazy, Ward. You're crazy. Like I would ever have anything to tell Simmons, you wanker. Crazy, Ward. (laughs) You crazy. crazy. <laughs> poor, poor sweet Fitz. The fact that it seems like even he is so oblivious to his very obvious yeah. romantic feelings towards Simmons. Just everyone but you and Simmons can see it. How are you right. both so oblivious? Sometimes you don't notice that you're in love with someone until somebody else points <sighs> it out. I've had that happen. But now people have definitely pointed it out to him. So Ward says the first fully true thing since he stepped onto this base. He says, do what you want. I don't care. That, that's the thing about it. Because I do feel like he actually does care about these people, despite himself. But that doesn't redeem him or make me like him at all. It makes it worse. Oh. Because Absolutely. he cares for them and he actively chooses to hurt them anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like he only cares about Skye just because he's obsessed with her. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's hard because I, I do feel like that advice that he just gave Fitz felt like it came from the heart. Like it felt like it came from a good place if Ward has one of those. But <laughs> I don't know if he does. The, like the thing is... I could almost understand it more if he were just, like, unapologetically bad like Reyna, you know? And, like, yeah, if he was just, like, one-track mind, emotionless Nazi sort of thing. But to me, it does seem like on some level he cares about these people and he doesn't want to see them hurt. But he will hurt them if that's what the mission needs. Yeah. And that's worse. So, May is beyond pissed that she's not piloting Coulson's mission. He tries to brush her off, but she persists. She brings up that she was there the last time Daniels was brought in, so she knows how personal this is for him. But Coulson is like, uh, 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 we are not friends anymore, <laughs> and we, you do not get to work with me anymore. And May reminds him that she passed the polygraph test, too, so she isn't hiding anything else colson asks yet again if she knows who was behind the tahiti project and she says she was ordered not to ask and side note i 
I love that she signals to him that she's being serious by calling him Phil. Like, that's her telling him, hey, we have been through a shit ton together, and I know you. Beyond being fellow agents or co-workers, I know you. So please listen to what I'm telling you. I'm trying to reach you on a personal level. And I, yeah. I don't know... I don't know how they'll be able to, but I really hope that they mend this friendship because I love besties Belinda and Phil. <laughs> May is trying to stress that she was following orders, but Coulson says that Fury isn't giving her orders anymore, so she can either follow Coulson's orders or go somewhere else, which seems like just the biggest fuck you in Melinda and Phil history. With The way that her face falls broke my heart. On the plane... Coulson is explaining that he knows Daniels will go to Portland because Daniels was obsessed with a woman there. He called her his only light in the darkness. And Simmons says, oh, that's almost romantic. <laughs> Fitz gives her a look and she stresses the word almost. <laughs> almost. So we cut to a woman on a dark street wearing a PDX Philharmonic hoodie. And I can only assume that this is Audrey. <laughs> fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. She puts in her headphones, playing classical symphony music, and begins her late night run as the streetlights begin going dark behind her. Fuck, fuck, fuck. She notices her headphones starting to go out, and Daniels is quickly approaching her. She turns, sees him, gasps, and sprints away. And I just, I love how TV shows do that <laughs> so slowly. <laughs> I know, I know it's for, it's so that you can see all the reactions and stuff, but it just, it it's so funny. Um, anyway, so she slows as a, as, as a black SUV skids to a stop and fishtails around for Simmons to open the back door to her and beckon Audrey to safety. It's probably a good idea to have the only woman on the team be the one to open the door and offer rescue. Yeah, oh. definitely. <laughs> but Audrey um, very reasonably hesitates at first. Uh, because there's a man after me and then immediately accepts that the stranger who has blocked her escape from the scary man is with the CIA and gets in the car. <laughs> I don't know about that part. I don't know. I feel like I would do the same thing. I would, I would have assumed they were working together. I feel like if, if suddenly <laughs> the superpowered man who stalked me and terrorized me like suddenly showed back up on my street and was chasing after me, I'd get into the car with just about anybody. I'd be like, get me the fuck away from here. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I don't know until I'm in that situation. And I hope that I will never be. <laughs> I, too, hope that the superpowered man who's stalking you never chases you down the street. <laughs> yeah, just keep stalking me from a distance, please. <laughs> whoever you are. <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so the, the SUV speeds away, and a small black car pulls up to Daniels in its place. Coulson and Fitz get out after releasing the flashlight drones. Daniels recognizes Coulson as the one who locked him up, and then reveals that he was experimented on in the fridge, and they made him even stronger. He blasts the light out of the air, and Coulson and Fitz go flying down the street, and then Daniels disappears. <laughs> So, in the comics, Marcus Daniels is a villain known as Blackout. Ooh. That's a, that's a good villain name. It is. It is. Yeah. It's like the first good name they've had. 
He first appeared in Nova issue 19 in 1978, and he was created by Marv Wolfman, Carmine Infantino, and Tom Palmer. Okay. <laughs> Those are good names. Yeah. <laughs> so back at Providence, Sky and Koenig are brainstorming where the other prisoners could have gone. Sky realizes that Koenig is tracking all of them with their lanyards. All of the people in, yeah. in the bunker. Sky gets the idea to hack into the NSA's satellites to try and find the prisoners. Koenig doesn't like it, but Ward comes in and asks if maybe they should upload that hard drive to the bunker system. Just, you know, just a random just thought casually. that he just you know, had. Just a thought. <laughs> Haven't been thinking about it for like a week. It's fine. <laughs> Sky says she would, but the encryption is location-based, so they won't be able to open it until they can make a field trip one day. Ward hides his frustration, but Koenig is impressed and uh, agrees to let Sky try to hack the NSA. <laughs> so Tripp and Simmons have brought Audrey to a random apartment or something um, and tell her that Daniels escaped from prison, but they are going to keep her safe. She's a little confused that the CIA want to keep her safe. <laughs> Audrey immediately guesses that they are S.H.I.E.L.D. And I just realized at this point in the episode that she's in one of my favorite Supernatural episodes. <laughs> so Tripp tries to convince her that they are not the terrorists that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been made out to be. But Audrey already knows this. <laughs> he keeps sneezing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bless you. Tripp tries to convince Audrey that they are not the terrorists that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been made out to be, but Audrey already knows this. She starts relaying the story of how S.H.I.E.L.D. saved her from Daniels the last time, while Coulson is listening from another room. Daniels began stalking her after going to one of her concerts. He then started going to all of her concerts, and then started showing up at her house at night, telling her how she was his light, while he was blacking out all of the lights on her block. The police were obviously no help. They didn't believe her. But a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent showed up at her door and saved her. Something about him just seemed trustworthy. Maybe it was his handsome face. Audrey confirms that she's talking about Agent Philip Coulson. And Fitz's jaw drops. (laughs) Audrey continues that Coulson died in the line of duty, but she doesn't really know what happened. She says that she still dreams about him sometimes. Good, sweet dreams. And then Coulson smiles and he can't listen anymore. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Shut up. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. So the character of Audrey was first mentioned as the cellist in The Avengers as a love interest for Coulson. We know this. Executive producer Jeffrey Bell said about finally introducing us to the cellist, There's that one line, and suddenly it's, who is this person? And what is this person? And when are we going to see this person? And we talked about it a number of times over the season, and we have different versions and different ideas of how to get there. At a time when Coulson's at his most vulnerable, it seemed to be a good choice for us. And then Monica Ousubreen added that the writing staff had a desire to find something that anchored Coulson, and a former lover was an interesting concept to them yeah i love it (laughs) fitz suggests that colson go in there and talk to her but colson doesn't want to intrude on her healing and moving on with her life which is extremely kind and mature of him but holy shit that must hurt 
it's so like as someone who has lost someone very close to me like I mean this isn't a thing that could ever feasibly happen especially with the way in which my dad died yeah but like if it turned out that my dad was still alive and like a year later he came back and was like I'm here I think that that would fuck me up more than him dying yeah yeah there would also be a very elaborate yeah considering that my dad died literally right in front of me um it would be pretty hard to pull off yeah (laughs) that would be quite a plot (laughs) (laughs) but um I know that it was out of Coulson's control, and it definitely, like, really sucks, but I think that if you're gonna go, then you should stay gone. Yeah. Agreed. So Fitz then says that he has an idea to stop Daniels, but it involves using Audrey as bait. Coulson is vehemently against that. He will not put her in danger again. Stop, please. Thank you. Um, Fitz reminds him that she's already in danger and as Coulson said Daniels is single minded and he won't care about anything else that they might try to use to draw him out so back back at Providence Ward heads onto the bus armed to talk to May I I don't think that's necessary (laughs) Um, and May says that the fuel line has been repaired and the plane is ready to fly and I'm obsessed with the way that she says fuel line she's like she's like the fuel line yeah the fuel line <laughs> it was so I feel cute. like that's the way that I say it the fuel line there's no there's no L in there it's the fuel line the fuel line I'm obsessed with it um <laughs> then as Ward is about to pull his gun on her <laughs> she walks past with a giant duffel bag Juffle bag. Juffle bag? Juffle bag. <laughs> As if he could ever actually take her out, even if he took her by surprise. No, like, there's no way. Come on, Ward. This is, come on. This is Agent Melinda You're May. flying a little bit too close to the sun. <laughs> Ward's girl bossing too close to the sun. Yes, this is going to be his undoing. Um, anyway, so as he's about to pull his gun on her, she walks past with a giant duffel bag. She says she's leaving. She was only on this team for Coulson, but since he can't forgive her, she's got a gun. Ward says that he understands following orders without question, no matter the price. And yeah, I fucking bet he does. May says that this price, losing her friend, was too high. So then she heads out into the snow. And I, I'm sorry, where is she going to go? <laughs> like... The plane was their only transportation, and they are apparently in the middle of the vast Canadian wilderness. She's going to just walk for hundreds of miles through the snow to the nearest civilization. Like, <laughs> It seems bizarre, and I love that that's literally exactly what she did. It is. It's, <laughs> it's so out of pocket. I, just, I love that. <laughs> Oh, May. So then Ward goes to check on Koenig, who is extremely impressed by Spy. Spy? By Spy. Spy Sky. Sky the Spy. (laughs) Uh, So Ward goes to check on Koenig, who is extremely impressed by Sky. She has already gotten the entire NSA satellite feed going directly to Koenig's monitors. 
Koenig says, I can see why you like her. And Ward agrees, but he's got his little villain face and he closes the door. <laughs> I hate this. I no! hate it. No! Koenig! It's awful. R.I.P. buddy. Um, he comes, does he come back? Who's to say? I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Trip and Simmons are going over the plan with Audrey. She's going to just keep playing until Daniels gets close enough to the stage to take him out. She's nervous because last time it took two full teams of agents to take him down. And right now she's only seeing two agents. <laughs> Valid. Simmons points to a window and says, in there, we have our best agents watching. They won't let anything happen to you. So then Audrey looks at the window, and she sees Coulson's silhouette standing there. And I just... Does she recognize him? Or does she... Maybe she just hopes that it's him? Yeah. I don't know. Fitz is trying to show Coulson the weapon that he's rigged up. He turned one of the jet's batteries, or something, into a stage light turned gamma ray. <laughs> he also makes a quip about Simmons making him wear gloves to use it. Because she's so uptight, lol. <laughs> So cute. Coulson is distracted at first. He's still watching Audrey. When he snaps out of it, he says this has to work. He gave Daniels to S.H.I.E.L.D. to rehabilitate him, not experiment on him and upgrade him. Fitz says that there is a slight possibility that Daniels will absorb the gamma rays and become even more powerful, although it's unlikely. However, Coulson is confident as soon as Fitz says that Bruce Banner was the one who created this technology. And I know, I know that's the Hulk, and I know he's a scientist, but I don't know why that means that nothing can possibly go wrong. So, and I could be wrong, but I think that that was sarcastic. Oh. Um, because Bruce Banner was experimenting with gamma radiation at the behest of the U.S. Army so that they could attempt to recreate the super soldier serum used on Steve Rogers. But then Bruce decided to test it on himself. And, oh. well, you know what happened then. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, no possible way that a gamma ray gun invented by Bruce Banner could malfunction. Okay. No. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I understand now. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. Totally trustworthy with gamma radiation, that guy. For sure. When I think good with gamma radiation, I think <laughs> Bruce Banner. <laughs> oh. So... Back at Providence, Skye can't find Koenig, but Ward shows up in a shadowy doorway, which is just so comforting. <laughs> Ward says that Koenig went to go send the satellite feed to NATO, the CIA, and Interpol as a sign of good faith from S.H.I.E.L.D., but I'm not so sure that's true. If it were true, that would be, like, a really good plan. It would be. So. It would be a solid I'm, plan. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> When Sky was looking for Koenig and calling, Eric, Eric, Aaron popped his head out of the bedroom and said, did you call me? I thought I heard someone call my name. Classic. And I was like, no, that was Sky saying Eric. And he was like, oh, 32 years and it still gets me. Eric, Aaron. <laughs> Um, so Ward mentions that May left, and Sky is pissed that she would leave without saying goodbye. 
She says May must not have felt anything for any of them while playing them just to keep an eye on Coulson, which was interesting who she's saying this to. Mm-hmm. Ward defends May, saying that was her mission. Skye asks if Ward felt anything for May, and Ward says the only comfort we took in each other was knowing that we didn't have to feel anything. Ugh. Bullshit! Uh. <laughs> Sky says you can't choose to feel, and Ward says usually I can. Fucking serial killer vibes. <laughs> Hate it. Mm. He then says it's different with us, and Sky's like, us? <laughs> what us? I know we kissed, but I thought that we were about to die, so. <laughs> And then we didn't. So now there's no need to rush an us. Please. See, I wish, I wish I had picked up this aspect of Sky's personality. Right? <laughs> you know, like I copied her wardrobe. I copied her mannerisms. Why? Why? Why couldn't I copy her ability to not jump headfirst into relationships? <laughs> <laughs> it would have saved you a lot of heartache. It would have. But then it also would have kept you from your current relationship. Yeah. It all works out. It all works out in the end. But not for Warden Sky. But not, please, not for Warden Sky. <laughs> um, anyway, so Ward just pours them each a drink and says, we gotta start somewhere. No! No, 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 no! No. And I hate that it would almost be charming <gasps> if we didn't know what we know. Right? Because, like, they always, they said, let's get a drink sometime. That was the thing. And now they're having the drink. Mm. And if he wasn't a Nazi, it would be so cute. <laughs> um. So over at the concert hall, Coulson is still watching Audrey intently. Fitz asks why he doesn't just go tell her that he's alive. Is he afraid to talk to her like Fitz is afraid to talk to Simmons? <laughs> Coulson says that he doesn't want to hurt her again. Even if he did talk to her, he wouldn't be able to actually stay and be with her. He's got the whole world on his shoulders and a job to do. Which, like we talked about, is a very, it's a very kind thing for him to choose not to talk to her. To yeah. not tell her. Because it would it would fuck her up. It's very like emotionally intelligent, you know. Like yeah. one, I can't do that. I can't suddenly like come back from the dead when she spent all this time grieving me and trying to get over me. I can't yeah. reverse that just for me to have to leave on missions that I might not make it back from again. Right. She has already lost me. I can't make her do that over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, so Ward is explaining that he was such an asshole to Skye before because he liked her. You know, that seven-year-old boy logic. <laughs> he says that he couldn't show his emotions because, quote, as a specialist, I had to keep focused. But once he saw her so close to death and fighting to stay alive, he knew that she was different. <laughs> Fucking What? You knew that you liked her because she was dying? <laughs> I, the way that he worded it is weird. Yeah. Because like you said, like what you wrote down is like, I knew I liked you because you had the basic human instinct of self-preservation. Yeah. It would have been different if I saw you dying and I realized how much it would hurt me if I would lose you. 
like that. Yeah, that would make sense. Would have been maybe an okay thing to say. But it's like, I saw you trying not to die, and I was like, hey, that girl's pretty cool. That's sexy. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) It's so sexy to me when the girl I like doesn't die. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Um, So Sky says, you don't have to shut people out, you know. And Ward's like, yeah, I do. There are things about me that you wouldn't like if you knew. Like, yeah, no shit that you're a Nazi and a murderer. I bet she wouldn't like that if she knew it. Probably not. Sky is offended that Ward apparently thinks she's too good to have any skeletons in her closet. So she says that Ward's good too. And Ward's like, not always. Not always? <laughs> Ward tells her that he lied to her. And my heart was pounding at this point. There was like, I was like, there's no fucking way. <laughs> he says um, that his older brother wasn't the one beating up their younger brother. Maynard made Ward do it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maynard. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say that again. <clears throat> He says that his older brother wasn't the one beating up their younger brother. Maynard made Ward do it. (laughs) Ah, so Ward was always taking orders from cruel people without questioning. And don't even ask about his parents. They were even worse. He repeats that he is not a good man. And then Skye grabs his face and says, yes, you are. No, he's not. (laughs) And then uh, he kisses her and I want to jump off a cliff. (laughs) This will be me. No. That would be me. (laughs) (laughs) They only stop because Ward's face starts bleeding again, so he rushes out of the room and insists on cleaning it himself without help. And it was weird. I feel like the placement of the of the blood was weird. Uh, It was like behind his ear, almost. I think it was. It wasn't his blood. Oh, oh, fuck, fuck. (laughs) Oh my god. That didn't even occur to me. (laughs) Whoa! I'll give you a moment. Thank you. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, moving on from that catastrophic realization um so audrey begins playing and the cello continues over sky finding koenig's tracker ipad she sees koenig and goes to find him this was when i noted oh shit this is the episode where she finds out (laughs) damn it um so back at the concert hall the lights are beginning to go out in the lobby Ward is cleaning up his face and then cleans his, like, strangle wire or whatever it's called. (laughs) Fuck. And it didn't, it literally did not occur to me that that was what he used on Koenig. I thought that he was going to use it on Sky. So Daniels is in the auditorium now and taking the lights with him. 
He's closing his eyes as the music washes over him. Audrey sees him and freezes. He asks her to keep playing. He says, I'm sorry I scare you. I know I'm a monster, but you're the one who can save me. And like, how? <laughs> so she continues playing and he starts walking towards the stage. So with the introduction of Amy Acker as the cellist in this episode, composer extraordinaire and friend of the podcast Bear McCreary, who just announced that he's doing the score for the new Lord of the Rings series, by the way. Are you serious? Yes, he was at San Diego Comic-Con, and, like, during the panel, they, like, announced it, showed the trailer, I think, for the series, and then he conducted a live orchestra at Comic-Con in front of the panel with, like, one of the songs. Wow. Go Bear! I didn't know that there was going to be a new Lord of the Rings series either. Wow! That's huge! (laughs) That is! That's amazing. Good for him. Good for Bear. So proud of you, friend. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, he was able to bring back the cellist theme he composed for a brief moment in The Magical Place where the character was mentioned. And for the sequence in the episode where she actually plays the cello, McCreary... um, said he wrote a collection of three short, repetitive musical figures set to various tempos. Um, and they had Amy, like, learn it, but most importantly, learn to mimic it. Oh. Like, you don't really need to make it sound good, but you need to make it look like you're playing, right. you know? Um, and she did that with a cello coach before performing the scene. Mm. And then once the scene had been completely edited and cut together... Uh, McCreary watched it and wrote a piece of music that 97% matched actors' visible movements, including timing and pitch. Wow. And then Eric Byers of the Calder Quartet performed the solo piece, and they said a, a particularly tricky moment had the character suddenly stop playing on the arrival of Daniels. So Byers tried, quote, a dozen different versions before he and McCreary were satisfied. Wow. Um, Bear stated that the biggest challenge, quote, was to take all those constraints and compose a piece of music that satisfied them all and yet felt soaring and lyrical. After all that, I had to write orchestral score around the cello performance to help sell the tension, emotion, horror, and triumph. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's amazing. He's just a fucking genius. He's so good. Like, no wonder he's getting all this work. He deserves it. Um, so, Ward gets back to the room that they were making out in, and he finds that Skye is not there. Skye finds Koenig's location, a random closet. So she opens the door, and a penny falls to the ground in front of her. <laughs> oh my god. My note here was, I literally have seen this before, and my heart is still pounding. Yeah. It was... <sighs> wow. It was a lot. And I, I, it was, it really added to the overall, like, anxiety and tension of it to have it, like, keep switching back and forth. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I was, it was crazy. Um, so Daniels is getting closer to the stage and Coulson has his hand on the trigger ready. Sky finally finds Koenig dripping from the grate in the ceiling. Ew. Ugh. 
Um, and then she realizes that Ward is the only other person there, so it must have been him. Obviously! <laughs> Finally! <laughs> um, so Coulson, Coulson turns on the lights, and Fitz, Simmons, and Tripp all point their beams at Daniels. He quickly knocks them all back, and Fitz immediately goes to check on Simmons. Daniels heads straight for Audrey, but Coulson shoots one more beam at him from behind. So Tripp gets back up and aims a second beam, and it works. Daniels explodes into dark matter, or whatever. (laughs) And I don't understand why the three beams didn't work, but the two did. Maybe it had to be closer range? I I don't don't know. (laughs) It's it's comic book logic. It's fine. (laughs) For the plot. Do it for the plot. So Skye goes and locks herself in the bathroom, trying to freak out as quietly as possible as she whispers her realization that Ward is Hydra. She hears him calling for her from down the hall, so she steals herself and then starts rummaging throughout the cabinets until she sees the fake window. Which I don't The scoring don't for this scene is so good. Yes. The suspense. Oh my god. Excellent. It's like horror movie scoring, like the like the sharp little staccato like yeah orchestra i don't i don't know what it's called but it was really good <laughs> and what what was her plan going to be when she looked at the the fake window i don't do we know yeah, this is not a visual medium okay. but i was shrugging exaggeratedly i don't know if that was an actual <laughs> you don't know or <laughs> um anyway so Coulson rushes to Audrey's side after she's thrown across the stage from Daniel's exploding. And when he knows that she's still alive, he kisses her forehead and whispers, You're safe. I'm still here. I promise I'm still here with you. (laughs) But when she opens her eyes, Simmons has taken his place. God, it's so sweet and frustrating. And she says, It felt so real this time. Yeah, I know. Oh. Um, so then Ward goes to the closet to check if his penny is still there. And it is. Sky comes around comes around the corner like nothing's wrong. And Ward asks why she left the room, which is a weird thing to ask. <laughs> I feel like a normal person would assume because he like he went in, saw she wasn't there, and immediately was like, fuck, and like went to check the closet. And it's like <laughs> Like, a normal person would just assume she went to the bathroom, or, like, to freshen up, you know? (laughs) That's what I would have answered, too. Yeah. Oh, I went to the bathroom. Um, But she plays it off like she got overwhelmed with him opening up to her. She kisses him again, and says that she's good now. Then she asks what Ward wants, and he says, I want to stay here with you. And honestly, I actually believed him on that one. He is obsessed with her. Um, But, unfortunately, they don't have the time to imagine that the world outside doesn't exist because he apparently got word from Fitz that the team needs their help. And obviously that's not true. Please, Sky, do not go to a secondary location with him. (laughs) Sky tries to stall, but Ward grabs her arm a little too firmly and says that they have to go now. Fuck. She pretends like that's okay and follows him down the hall, letting him hold her hand. 
I'm I was screaming at this point. I, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It's so bad, but like I'm so proud of Sky. Yeah. She, the stakes could not be higher and she's not letting even a trace of her horror show on her face, yeah. you know? She oh my god. Like she she went to the bathroom to freak out and then she's like, "Okay, how am I going to get out of this? And she just, she's so, she's so, I love her so much. Oh, brave soul. Yes. So on the jet, Fitz checks in on Coulson. Coulson is disappointed that he lied to Audrey today, but he takes comfort in the fact that she's alive and safe. Coulson says that he'll tell her, he'll tell her the truth someday, but for now, she obviously wouldn't understand and wouldn't be able to forgive him. Um, which sounds like Coulson. <laughs> um, because he also realizes that he needs to patch things up with May when they get back, which <laughs> it's too late for that, buddy. Damn it. When Simmons walks into the room, Coulson goes to check on Trip and give her and Fitz some privacy. And Fitz looks terrified. <laughs> Simmons wants to talk to him on Tripp's behalf about why Fitz is so terrible to him. She thinks that maybe Fitz doesn't trust Tripp's loyalty, but Fitz blurts out, it's not him. But when she asks him to elaborate, he chickens out and says that he just hates change. So Coulson, Tripp, and Fitzsimmons get back to the hangar at Providence, and they are stunned that the bus is missing. On the bus... Warren has apparently made Skye sit in the cockpit with him. I just, and I wonder, I really wonder what he said to, like, make her do that. <laughs> like, Yeah, I don't know. What in his mind was like, oh yeah, this is a good reason for her to sit up front with me. <laughs> Instead of allowing her, you know, free reign. Maybe like, oh, come sit up here with me. We can talk on the way and we can watch the sunrise together. Uh, I guess. Ugh. cheesy gross but i love i love the way that sky just like in the in the same way that ward was asking subtle probing questions before about mm-hmm. like the test and things like that i love that sky is trying to deduce what it is exactly that ward wants from her right like why are we leaving where are we going yeah she's really good about it too she's better than he is <laughs> mhm so he says that they are not going to Portland, but Fitz, quote Fitz, told them that the Peruvian 084 might be able to help them. Skye is confused because as far as she knew, they jettisoned that thing into the sun. He says that they have the specs for it, though, and Sky realizes that he wants her to decrypt the hard drive. Um, Ward corrects her that the team wants that. But since only Sky knows what location the hard drive is encrypted to, she has to decide where they go. Which means that he still needs her alive. Whew. God. I am terrified. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, so now it's time for the post-content content. Woohoo! May's mom picks her up from the side of the road in Ontario. And we don't know how far uh, Providence is from Ontario, but 
it seems like it was probably a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so her mom is apparently also a secret agent. So I guess they're both Agent May. <laughs> um, so Mama May drove 500 miles from Pennsylvania to pick up her daughter, even though they clearly don't talk much anymore. Oh, the joys of the mother-daughter relationship. But uh, Mama May hands over an envelope with whatever information Melinda asked her to get for her. Mama May asks if Melinda is going to take out someone named Maria, but Melinda says she just wants to talk. Maria Hill? So guest star Sai Chin, who plays May's mother, is one of a rare few actresses who have played a Bond girl more than once. Whoa. I believe that she was the first Chinese Bond girl, if not the first Asian Bond girl. All right. Um, So she appeared for the first time in the Bond franchise as Ling, a Chinese agent in Hong Kong who sets up Sean Connery's Bond to be killed at the beginning of You Only Live Twice in 1967. Ah. And she returned almost 40 years later to appear opposite Daniel Craig's Bond as poker player Madame Wu in Casino Royale in 2006. Wow. Go her. So, pretty cool woman. And I, in looking her up on YouTube to um, figure out how to pronounce her name, assuming that it's the same person, she's also a singer. Wow. So, that's pretty cool. Good for her. Just so, it all. yeah, really, really cool. Um, so, overall thoughts on the episode. What have you got? I honestly, I just, I have no words. My stomach is just in knots for Sky. <laughs> That's all. Understandable. I have a couple of um, leftover fun facts. Please. So, at some point in the episode, Colson can apparently be seen loading a Smith & Wesson MNP shield model carry pistol. Um, I assume that that's a fun fact because it's a shield model, but that string of words means absolutely nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. And also, Amy Acker, who plays Audrey, and J. August Richards, who plays Mike Peterson, star together in the 1999 Buffy spinoff series, Angel. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I still, I have yet to watch Angel. I've watched Buffy a couple of times. I haven't watched it. And I was late to the game with Buffy because it was airing, like, when I was a little kid. Right. My sister watched it a lot, and it scared the shit out of me (laughs) as a kid. And it was funny watching it as an adult and getting to the scene that I vividly remember traumatizing me as a child and being like, it's not even that scary. (laughs) (laughs) I need to watch it. I never have. Buffy's pretty good. I I need to watch Angel. All right. So, that concludes our episode on Season 1, Episode 19, The Only Light in the Darkness. If you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on TikTok at Agents of Nothing Podcast, on Twitter at Agent Nothing Pod, you can go to anchor.fm slash agents of nothing and send us a voice message with your thoughts. You can also donate to us on Anchor if you would like to. No pressure. 
And you can email us at agentsofnothingpodcast at gmail.com. We're definitely going to have a bonus email episode between seasons one and two. So be sure, if you want your email read on the podcast, to get those in before, I'll say, around August 25th. So that you can get it on the pod. Yeah! All right, and our personal social media, you can find me, Mariah, on Twitter at FullSwampWitch underscore, on TikTok at Submarine Warfare, and on Instagram at Submarine Warfare. And you can find me, Caroline, on Twitter at RustyPage95, on Instagram at rest, underscore RustyPage, or on TikTok at CrazyGinger995. Next week, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 20, Nothing Personal, so stay tuned for that. Okay, bye! Bye, love you!